0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. How are you doing today? Thank you, as always, for all of you who listen all around the world. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. You came to the right place. If this is your hundredth time listening to the show, thank you so much, Mom. I appreciate it that was a joke. I just want to say, and you've heard me say this before, if you have listened to the show, I absolutely love doing this podcast because it's really allowed me to connect with passionate people around the world, wildlife professionals, people who dedicate their lives to animals. And this is, you know, essentially what the show is about. And I have the best job in the world. (laughs) I act like I'm getting paid for this. I have... (laughs) (laughs) I I love doing it. I honestly have the best job in the world, or I should say hobby, because I get to talk to these people who are so passionate about what they do. And I'm not going to lie. I can't believe I landed this interview, but this is great. Uh, On today's show, we have the very famous lion whisperer, Kevin Richardson. And this guy, I'm sure you have seen him. He's all over Facebook. YouTube Instagram his videos go viral. He's the one walking alongside adult lions He's the one you'll see hugging lions I mean, he just has these unique relationships with these big cats and I mean, I've, I've known about Kevin for many, many years. I never knew he would do the show. And if you're wondering how I was able to get Kevin on the show, I'll tell you a little behind-the-scenes information. So basically, last week, if you listened to the episode with the actress and animal activist, Dania Villers, I hope I'm saying that right, she plays Mia in the film, Mia and the White Lion, which is now in theaters. It's an excellent movie. So her management team reached out and said, Hey... Um, you know, Daniel would love to be on the animals to the max podcast. I said, Oh, that's great. I would love to talk to her about, you know, being in this movie, what, you know, what it's like working with these lions. And then they emailed me back and said, Oh, by the way, Kevin Richardson, the Lion Whisperer would also be available. Would you like to interview him? And <laughs> it was so funny. I like got the email and I'm just like, are you kidding me? Could you imagine if I was like email, you know, emailed them back and said, yeah, I'll just, yeah, let me think about it. Are you kidding me? I was like, I emailed back immediately and said, absolutely. I would love to interview the Lion Whisperer. And... Basically Kevin he oversaw the complete production process over the movie Mia and the White Lion and it took three years to film and it just you guys I'm not gonna lie you guys I had so many questions for Kevin I mean he's been working with lions and other carnivores including jaguars. Leopards hyenas. Okay, you know, I'm obsessed with hyenas, right? So I of course asked him about hyenas. He currently has eight right now at his sanctuary in South Africa I asked him, you know, what basically what it's like building relationships with these large powerful and dangerous animals and I was so cool that this guy just took the time To do the interview and I really really hope you enjoy it and by the way If you have never seen any of Kevin's videos, please if you are stationary not if you are driving But if you are stationary, please hit pause and um, you know go to YouTube or you know Facebook or even Instagram He has over a million followers on Instagram and just check out a couple videos It is just it's just incredible what he does and the reason why I I I just have to say I love his work is because he is bringing light to what is happening right now in Africa with lions There are less and I'm not trying to bring the mood down, but we just have to state the facts. There are less than 20,000 Lions left in Africa in 20 years or even less some scientists believe they will be extinct in the wild lions and so with these videos that reach millions and millions of people that go viral, he is able to basically share his message. And that's why I love what he does. I love talking with him. I know you are going to definitely enjoy this interview before we get started with the interview. If you haven't already and you like the show, well, I guess you've only listened to the intro, but Either way, uh, leave us a review, and uh, we really appreciate it. It helps me out. All your comments, I appreciate it. Also, I encourage you if you want more information about Kevin, definitely check out his Instagram, The Lion Whisperer, and I'll include the link in the show notes um, as well. If you want to know more, uh, make sure to follow my social handles at Corbin Maxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I love to connect with all of you around the world who are listening to the show. So, yeah. With that said. I cannot wait for you to listen to this interview. I had such a great time. So please welcome to the show, Kevin Richardson, the Lion Whisperer. Thank you so much for doing this. You have no idea. I'm so excited.
1: It's a pleasure. Good to be here.
0: Wait, are you just telling me that? Because I feel like you'd way rather be hanging out with lions.
1: (laughs) No, no, I realize that this is also a part of my job. So definitely don't mind doing them.
0: Okay, well, I'm a huge animal lover. I cannot wait to talk to you. So, I just saw the movie Mia and the White Lion. I didn't know what to expect. Honestly, I didn't know if there'd be a lot of CGI. I didn't know what to expect, and it's not really like that type of movie. You're actually working with real lions, and you over yeah. yeah, I mean, and you and you oversaw the production for what, 3 years?
1: Yeah, more than 3 years. Um this this kind of uh, this idea Started uh, back in 2012. Uh, Obviously, the production, the actual production was only three years. But uh, the idea has been a long time in the making. Um, And yeah, so it was a labor of love.
0: Yeah, I mean, why did you want to get involved in the film?
1: Well, um, I met a guy who was a director. He had been directing a lot of uh, documentary films. He, He wanted to make a documentary on my work. And at that point in time, I was moving facilities and uh, we were filming that whole process. So he, he was like, well, what else can we do? So I said, well, you know, it would be good to, to do something on canned hunting and, and awareness around canned hunting. So he didn't know what I was talking about. He said, oh, um, uh, well, what is that? So I explained a little bit about the whole process and uh, he eventually he said to me, but do you know this facility? I've just done a documentary on on the the guy's son. And I was like, yeah, I'm not one to sit and and, and want to criticize other facilities. I think uh, everyone uh, in this industry is trying to do um, their bit. But I had heard of the place that he had been. And so he was asking me for my opinion, which I don't like to freely give about these places. I like people to rather uh, be armed with information and then go and then apply that information to where they've just been or to other facilities that they may want to go and uh, visit. And so he did that. And then he came back to me and he said to me, look, um, he feels like he's been lied to. And he was very angry about it. And he was like, what can we do? And I said, look, you know, documentaries um, are good. They have a place. um, But you know, I feel it's the time for a, a good feature film with a good story that has this message. And I think him and me both come from the filming background. Uh, I, have, I have participated in feature films before. And so obviously there was, it was a, a big decision because there was a lot of things that we had to overcome to make this movie a realization and even even to to the extent that I had to compromise a few of my own morals to, 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 to kind of achieve what we needed to achieve. And the whole idea for the film was it needed to be authentic because if the audience didn't buy into their authenticity and it was just CGI or it was just done on green screen or split screen, you're not gonna win the audience over. So we wanted the audience to buy into the film and buy into the characters and see the relationship and become so emotionally involved that when this thing happens, they get angry. And, and, and that, you know, I don't want to give away the story for, for obviously people who haven't seen it. But uh, that is by and large the feedback that we've had is that they really got emotionally involved and got angry at this, this thing that happens. And they didn't know that it happened like most of the world out there.
0: Yeah. And there are moments like I was cursing at the TV screen, Kevin, you know what I mean? There were moments and I'm serious, like, you know, and then at the end there's moments where you're just like, I mean, it really, there's a lot of stuff that happens. It is emotional. Can we just go in a little bit? Because the majority of my audience is in the U S what is canned hunting?
1: Okay. So there's many different definitions of canned hunting that fly around, but over the years I've developed my own. Um, In my opinion, uh, a definition of a canned hunt is any hunt of any animal. But in this particular case, we're going to talk about lion, where the animal doesn't stand a fair chance of escape. It doesn't stand a chance of evading the hunter. And really what people have have termed canned means it's in the can. It means it's a guarantee. So uh, there's, different, there's different definitions. You'll hear people say, well, canned hunting is illegal in South Africa and it doesn't happen. They're just playing with words. Um, the, the reality is, is that these animals that are targeted uh, for, for, for the bullet uh, or for slaughter, um, it's not really hunting. We call it, I, I, I would refer to it as canned shooting. Um, and these animals don't stand a fair chance of escape. So either through emotional constraints, uh, or physical constraints. So physical constraints being boundaries, they can't f- physically get out of the boundaries that they're confined to or, uh, emotional constraints or psychological constraints would be, um, you know, they've been hand re- reared. They've been, uh, they're unafraid of people. They see people as a food source. Uh, that's, that's a constraint. And, and then these people come over from all over the world, including the USA, pay sums of money to shoot these lions that have been bred in captive conditions, uh, mostly petted by the paying public tourists that come from overseas play with these cubs. And then when these cubs get old enough to, to be, be these big uh, males, they get, they get shot in these conditions.
0: Oh my God. I'm completely against hunting of lions at all. I mean, I, I, I don't understand how someone could do it. I mean, we have what less than 20,000 left on earth. Is that correct? Less than 20,000? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's less than 20, uh, so some scientists would argue there's probably closer to 15,000, but uh, just to give you an idea, between 15 and 20,000 lions are left throughout Africa and into, that include, includes our Asiatic population, um, which is not a lot. I mean, if you look at a, a stadium filled, you know, people going to watch a football match, uh, you know, that can be anywhere up to 80,000 people, and even there you look and then you go, oh, that's not that many people. So your entire lion population doesn't even fill up a stadium. A stadium nearly. I mean, it's, it's 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 crazy.
0: Yeah, it is crazy. And I feel like even in the U.S., a lot of people don't realize that Africa is not full of like lions. I mean, you know, I think people feel like it's like the National Geographic where you walk out of the plane and they're everywhere, and that's just not the case.
1: Um, exactly. I mean, lions seem to be the forgotten species because. Um, it's almost like a quiet extinction going on because the public awareness out there is is not great. And the fact that we have so many lions in captive situations throughout the world, it just doesn't seem like they are uh, in, in, in any danger. So when you talk to people around the world and, 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 and what tends to happen here in South Africa and, and, and in the world is that uh, conservationists tend to um, talk within echo chambers so we all preaching to the converted, and everyone's like, oh, that's really terrible. And, ev- and we all think that everyone knows what's going on. And when I travel, it's when I actually realize that people don't know what's going on. And when you start to talk to people, and they go, what is this canned hunting? I've never heard of it. And I'm going like, but hold on a moment. I've been in the lion business, you know, been working with lions for 20 years. And you're trying to tell me that you don't know what canned lion hunting is? And that's when we, you know, when we when we realized that. I mean, we said, okay, how do you reach millions of people? You need to draw them into something that they're going to go and see and watch. But then there's this subliminal, and it's not that subliminal actually. <laughs> then there's this underlying message that is, it's not the message of the film because if you had to say to people, this is a this film's about about canned lion hunting, people aren't going to go and watch it. So what you need to say is that this film is a, a love story and, and it's a it's a coming-of-age uh, journey and all of that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a romance between an animal, a wild animal, and a human being, a young girl and a lion. Um, people start to have these romantic thoughts and then they want to go and watch it and boom, then you've caught them because then when they get sucked into the film and then they hear about this, they can't unsee it or unhear it. And then after the film, we've had a lot of people contact us through the email and and whatnot, all the social channels, saying they cannot believe that this actually goes on in South Africa. And for us, that's a success. So despite what, other, what some people would say is, you know, you're using animals for films and and uh, these kind of things, what, what I say is that it creates the conversation. So I'm glad that there's this debate. Even if it's a um, critical debate, even if people are criticizing, uh, it doesn't matter. It still opens the debate.
0: So let's just talk a little bit about white lions, by the way, okay? Can you tell us what is a white lion?
1: So yeah, white lions no different to a normal tawny lion or the normal African lion that people generally know, you know, the Lion King lion. Um, It's just a recessive gene um, likened to red hairedness in humans. So if you, you know, if we see a a human with red hair, we don't go, oh my gosh, that's a weird uh, or unique or revered, Kind of uh, subspecies. Well, it's you must just have just never a- seen
0: a weird redhead, because.
1: <laughs> okay, <I'm> sorry, <laughs> <go ahead. laughs> like, But you know, so redheadness is a recessive gene. We understand how how it is expressed, and when it's expressed in in the case of a of a, of the lion, um, it it results in this whiteness, or and it's not actually it's just a melanin lack. Uh, they're not albinos. They, they they can breed. They they um, do have pigmentation. Uh, but it's not; it's not to the same degree.
0: Okay, and are they more susceptible to like disease, though? Because you know, it is two recessive
1: genes. They seem, see, you know, in the wild scenario. Let's just go there. They do occur, especially in a region in in, in South Africa, in the Timbavati Mbabat area. And they currently, I think, this there are about seven. Uh, white individuals uh, in the wild, the parents uh, carrying the gene are prevalent. Mm-hmm. So every now and again, the white gets expressed. So with regards to uh, those individuals, they seem to be fine. But what's transpired is in the captive scenario, is that at, at one point in time, there was almost like this um, competition or race as to who had a different unique you know uh, specimens for display in zoos and parks and stuff like that, so there was this almost a speed breeding of 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 white on white on white on white on white to get white. you know so the genetics have been compromised, and what I found with our the lions in our care, Uh, The white lions specifically are susceptible to uh, a few different things, cancers, stuff like that.
0: Can we talk about the particular lion in the movie? His name in the movie, of course, is Charlie, but in real life, his name is Thor.
1: Correct. Yeah. (laughs) Great lion. Yeah. That's that's uh, the character.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so what? Okay, So and you oversaw the complete production. Were you ever nervous when these lions were working with these young actresses or young actors at all?
1: So, um, obviously, before the film uh, got made, there were a lot of question marks and a lot of boxes that needed to be ticked. First thing was, is that the director said to me, you know, he wants to have this um, relationship uh, real and that the girl at the end of the film, it's an adult big lion and, and, and the girl has grown up as well and we see this. And I'm like, well, you do realize that that can't happen because if that were to happen, then you're going to have to have a girl grow up with a lion. Um, and that is something I don't want to do. And that's something that's quite difficult. It's going to require a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of everything. And so he looks at me and he goes, but if it, if it was compelling and, and the story got a, a good message out and, and, and we had the mechanisms, would you consider it? So, I didn't exactly say yes immediately. We had to think about, you know, okay, well, how, how, how are we going to do this and uh, how are we going to do that? And then, you know, okay, so as the line grows up, what happens if they don't get along? Uh, and he was like, well, what do you think? I said, well, look, I, I, I do believe if they, they, they start together and I teach the, the girl and the boy the right mechanisms and the right methodology about working, how to work around the lines, I see that they could have this relationship up to three years, and it actually would be in many respects safer than if we had to do it any other way. So what, one thing I really was opposed to doing was just bringing people um, who don't know the lions into the space of the lions and, and, and purely based on the fact of their or, or on their acting ability. So let's, for example, say we, we cast a, an actress that was just incredible in terms of the acting ability and it had nothing to do with her, her amenability towards animals. I think that would have been an absolute disaster. So we needed a, a young actress who loved animals, who could act. I mean, it was, it was a, a tall order, you know, and, and, and Danya, for me, stood out head and shoulders above the rest. And she she was uh, together with Ryan. Ryan and Daniel were the two the two children in the film, and uh, they they just listened. What I love about kids is that they don't come with any um, preconceived ideas of how they should be. They're just blank slates, and they're ready to listen and they're ready to absorb. That's what they did, and I think that's why you know the the milestones were were knocked on their heads as we went along. You know, it's not. Um, It's not something uh, I would have, and uh, obviously we needed buying from everyone. You know, it's like uh, the first question that I ask people is, do you think two sets of parents are going to just give their kid over to someone if they thought that for any stage, this is going to put their child's, uh, you know, life in harm's way. So that's always something to bear in the back of the the mind is that these, these parents had to be um, completely comfortable with what I was telling them, and and all the the different scenarios that we could face, and then they had to buy in completely, and and on top of that, it, the producers had to buy in completely, the studio had to buy in completely, the director, everyone, everyone who was involved, it wasn't just a Kevin. I, like I, lo- I love the way a lot of people just think it was my decision. <laughs> I just said, yeah. this is the way it's going to work. You will just shut up and listen. I'm going to do this. It wasn't like that at all. It was a collaboration of many, many, many people. Obviously, the, the compelling factor was what we were trying to achieve at the end of the day.
0: Can I get the name of your insurance agent, please? <laughs> yeah.
1: somebody, said, somebody said to me the other day, it was well, the other day, it was quite a few years back, is that um, – And this was actually an insurance company who I was doing a talk for. And they said, you know, everything is insurable. It's just the premium that's going (laughs) to determine. So they'll insure anything.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I I work with animals on TV as well, but I mean, not lions. I look, you know, with the, yeah, anyway. So, but did you have any like safety precautions on set? For instance, like of people who've yes. never been around the lions, like, can you go over a couple safety precautions? I'm just curious.
1: Of course, uh, you know, when the lion got to a certain age, over a year and a bit, so he was about 14, 15 months, then everyone who didn't have a relationship basically with the lion was put away, either away from set or in cages. So we actually had these filming cages with hatches and the cameras would poke out the hatches and that's how they, we would film the scenes. A lot of uh, the the scenes um, where the camera follows um, the the actress and actor and the actor uh, were shot on me. Um, so because obviously I've got the relationship with the lion, I know I know what what the director was wanting in terms of the intimacy. So it would just be easier if I just took the camera. They can review. If they're not happy, we can go and shoot again. It was a very fluid, go-with-the-flow kind of process. It was a really good thing because it was, there was never this pressure, pressure, pressure like a lot of feature films that have. We've got 12 weeks. We have to shoot this. If we don't shoot this, we, we're going to go over budget. It was not like that. We shot this film in a way almost documentary style in many respects. So the emotive, emotional scenes definitely took time. The line was relaxed. The actress was relaxed. Everyone was relaxed. And that's how we got we got onto those. Obviously, from the safety perspective of the the actress, um, Danya, that was minimised because of the relationship. And Thor had been doing this every day of his life since you know since we we um, got him. So for him, it was like just another normal day of walking through the the wilderness or doing what he what he did, you know, or what he had to do, and that. I think familiarity for him was a, a mitigating factor. But obviously, yes, there's all these different other safety precautions. If this happens, that happens. If if that happens, then this happens. And that was discussed on a daily basis. Each scene would be deconstructed. We would say, how are we going to try and achieve it? If, the lion, if he's not uh, wanting to do this on this particular day, we'll just leave it. And we'd adapt. I mean, some of the things that if he didn't do it this way, he did it Thor's way. And Thor's way was always better. So there was no preconceived like, script. That the, the, We had the script, obviously, and we tried to get what was in the script. But if the lion really said, you know what, I'm not doing that, or I said, I mean, often I would say, listen, the lion, he's not going to do that. So let's be realistic about what would a lion really do. And then you work around the animal. And, and then the results, I think, speak for themselves.
0: Yeah. I just, I, mean, I was watching the movie with my wife and there's a scene where Charlie, uh, you know, quote unquote Thor jumps on the bed and, you know, wakes up the young actress. And it's like, and my wife's like, how in the world did they get him to do that? And I was like, I have no idea. I mean, is, are you just capturing playful moments? I'm assuming. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Essentially.
1: He he was a real sport, and he loved uh, he loved to play around that set. And that set was built on the on the farm, and that set was part of our uh, um, our routines of where we would go. So three to four times a week, Daniel and Ryan would come under my care, and we would walk around that set, and we would walk in that house and up and down, and and so by the time the the it came to shooting, uh, that room was like his room. Um, so, you know, he, he, he had fun, he'd come, he'd jump on the bed, he'd, he'd do his thing, he'd run around, he had fun. So, um, you know, when it came to shooting scenes like that, some, some of them were harder than, you know, some of the scenes you think are going to be easy or not, and some that you think are going to be hard become easy. So, yeah, but it, that's the magic.
0: Yeah, and really quick, I, what was the most difficult scene, I have to ask, to film with Thor?
1: Uh, The most difficult scenes are always the ones where you need the lion relaxed and you need him uh, sleeping. So I think for me, the most difficult scene was probably the one in the the, when she when she runs away with him and uh, then she eventually gets tired and crashes into to to all the, you know, the, 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 the junk in the junkyard. And Then you know kind of says to him well, you know, I'm just a stupid little girl And then th- they land up sleeping on the top of the Land Rover and I imagine uh, uh, The scene behind the scenes you've got uh, all those lights and cameras and people and activity And now you saying to a lion sleep, you know, so uh, it, it was really really difficult But he, that line. He's almost got human intelligence in that head of his because he, he was he was really he would kind of look and look at you and really get what you're trying to uh, get him to to do um, so although it was a difficult scene when it, 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 was just, it was difficult, I suppose in the sense that it took time and luckily that's what we allowed we allowed time and uh, I think it, it was magical when I watched that scene back it's, it's magical.
0: I, yeah I agree. So can people go see Thor today?
1: Yeah, um, so Thor and uh, all the lines that he now resides with are at at uh, my sanctuary in South Africa, and uh, we do three uh, we do bookings for for tours um because we're a, a a sanctuary with very um limited hands on deck. We're a very small team. We do three tours a week. we do uh, on a I think it's a Tuesday, a Thursday, and a Sunday. And people, are all, I mean, we've had people from uh, Europe dying to come and see him. And so they come and they see him and they tick that box. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah, so definitely people can uh, for sure come and see him.
0: All right. So I have to ask you, I'm obsessed with hyenas. And I know that you have worked with hyenas. I know this is off topic. But what was that like?
1: Yeah, look, I currently have 12 uh, spotted hyenas at, at the sanctuary. Oh. Yeah. So I still I still work with hyenas. And uh, hyenas are are really incredible animals, highly intelligent, in many respects, um, very similar in, in in many ways to primates in terms of intelligence, in terms of way, in terms of the way they problem solve, thinking, strategy. Totally misrepresented animal. Unfortunately, through documentaries, um, through feature films, they have been uh, dragged through the mud. They've been always made to be the villain, you know, the stupid, giggling villain. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, these are actually not giggling, silly, stupid animals. These are actually very smart animals. And I always say to people, you look at the size of a hyena and you look at the size of a lion, and then you realize that these two predators compete for the same um, or compete in the same environment, often for the same prey. It's incredible that a hyena can compete like that because lion brute force is so much stronger. But hyena uses its brain to outwit, outsmart, and uh, so yeah. When you get to know hyenas as well as uh, I do, you fall in love with them very quickly. And we, we, we you know, we do everything to try and create positive awareness uh, surrounding hyenas, including showing them, uh, like a lot of people are doing nowadays with sharks. To show them uh, show people that they're not mindless man-eating um, villains but actually they have a purpose in the environment and, and in actual fact are really astute uh, predators.
0: I was gonna ask uh, which animals more difficult to, to gain a relationship with a lion or a hyena
1: They both have their, their um, c- complexities so I don't I wouldn't say you know one is uh, easier than the other I'd say they're different. And you cannot apply your cat-working relationships to hyena hierarchy. You'll come short. Hyenas work in a very strict uh, hierarchical system, and they don't like to tolerate uh, people stepping out of of where they should be. And I mean people, I mean in their society, so um, their peers. And they know, they know their place, and every now and again, they try and um, elevate themselves. And that's what it's always about. It's how can I get higher up in the pecking order? Um, and they either do manage to do that or they get shut down, you know. So when you go and work with hyenas now, if you work with one hyena, it's different as opposed to working with two, three, four, five, six, seven, etc. Et the moment you start working in a group of seven, now you are fitting in into that very complex society. And you need to uh, figure out how you are going to fit in there. Are you going to come in as a dominant individual and try and be high up there? Are you going to be submissive? And so these are all the complexities with hyenas. Lions don't have that. So, you know, if you forge a bond with a lion, generally, if it's good enough, it can withstand a few, um, you know, ups and downs. Uh, But like any relationship, like you would know with animals, it's about that. A lot of animals, if you really, truly and genuinely have a good, authentic relationship. It's about time in the saddle, it's about consistency, and it's about being nice. Uh, Animals don't gravitate, especially wild animals, they don't gravitate towards people that are not nice to them, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So yes, you can definitely, we've seen it in circuses and in in certain other situations where you can uh, make predators like lions submit through being abusive. Um, so if you, you know, if you make them believe that you more, you, you're you more powerful or if the consequence of them stepping out of line is a beating and you do that and you instill that from a young age, then yeah, it's a no-brainer. But you're sitting with a ticking time bomb, in my opinion, and you can often see with those lions – Uh, Or other animals, tigers, bears, whatever, you can see there's this almost I'm doing it, but I don't want to do it. And maybe one day is one day. Whereas if you genuinely have a relationship, you mitigate all of those um, problems because that animal wants to be around you and in your space.
0: Mm -hmm. And I mean, Kevin, and and I work with animals, not big cats on a base on a daily basis, mainly reptiles like alligators and all that type of fun stuff, you know, stuff that could, you know, bite your hand off. Um, I've been (laughs) I've had, you know, some close calls. I'm sure you've had close calls, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, fortunately for me, a lot of my closer calls um, were when I was younger. And that was when I was learning the ropes and learning, um, you know, what to do and what not to do um obviously in my later years um not so much because the animals that I forge bonds with are you know spanning uh, one and a half decades some of the lions uh, you know my oldest lion passed away uh two th- three months ago and he was uh, 21 years old so that's a 21 year relationship and so a lot of the lions in the sanctuary are are geriatrics they they're 14 15 years of age um so, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. They, they, you, you are kind of integrated into their groups. You're part of the furniture. In fact, some of the lines so much so that they don't even get up when you walk into the, the pride. They like look up at you and they go, oh, it's you, and then go back to sleep, you know, which is actually uh, in many respects very flattering because they, they they see you as part of part of the the, the the group I mean they don't every time one of their members comes up get up and give them a hug and lick them all over it, you know it's it, 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 it's it's um, so it's very uh, humbling to be accepted that way
0: yeah Kevin and I, I just want to thank you so much I know you have to go I want to thank you for your time and I also want to thank you for raising awareness for lions in the wild. I mean, cause all of your videos go viral. You have over a million followers on Instagram, Facebook. So thank you for what you do. I, I just think it's great bringing awareness.
1: No, I appreciate it Corbin. And I think uh, in this world of uh, doom and gloom and everyone uh, you know picking on everyone else and everyone with so much to say, there's a lot of self righteous people out there who are very angry and come across as, as, as quite dismissive I think if we just all um, spread a little bit of love, and uh, you know, to, and and embraced, and uh, you know, work towards a common purpose, uh, and unite, uh, you know, unite in the fight, because I think that's what it's about. It's about not being divisive in the fight against uh, or against these kind of things, but uh, being united in trying to uh, create as much awareness and tell, you know, try and get people to fall in love with animals like we have. You know, how do you do that? I mean, so the only way you can do that is by bringing these animals into people's lives because they're only going to love what they know and they're only going to know what you show them. You know, you have to show people to get them connected to these animals and then they're only going to protect what they love. So if you can get them to love the animals, they're going to want to protect them too. And so if we can convert or or, or challenge these youngsters who are the future, then I think we, we, we stand a chance
0: that's awesome thank you so much and kevin i would like to get you back on the show i mean it's completely up to you but for more of a more in-depth interview on your journey i have a lot of young aspiring biologists scientists who listen to the show who are probably wondering how do i get into a field like you know the famous kevin richardson so i'd love to invite you back on sometime when you have the time to go more in depth but i really appreciate your time today
1: I'd appreciate that that would be good hold the base going keep on see you later
0: Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxie.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.